know, like I said at the beginning of the week, I've done all the preparation that I can do. And if I win this golf tournament, then great. And if I don't, that's okay too, because I, I did everything I could. And and welcome back. Welcome aboard another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. My other co-host, Matt Cermak, is in Seattle. Couldn't make it. Okay, so I'm flying solo, or am I? Actually, first time ever on the part train, we got a guest host. I brought Dr. Bob Winters, world-renowned sports psychologist, known as the Confidence Doctor. Okay, trained under Bob Rotella for years at the University of Virginia. He is, we had him on before, one of my favorite guests. He's the resident sports psychologist for Ledbetter Golf Academy. We'll get into all that, but first, recapping the Masters and talking about Scotty Scheffler and helping you guys think like Scotty Scheffler. In case you're new, thanks for hopping aboard. If your golf game's off the rails, you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you come in the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Trust me, I've lived it. The Par Train Podcast unpacks the mental game with PGA Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists. Like Dr. Bob Winters today, everyday golfers like you and me and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. The Par Train Podcast is presented by Roback Performance Apparel. Guys, I, you know this, I've talked about it a lot. I went to my first Masters and I wore the Azalea Polo. I saw probably 20 other Azalea Polos and every time I saw them, we fist pumped each other. They're like, Roback's the best. And even beyond that, I got more compliments on this shirt than any golf polo or maybe even shirt I've ever owned. People were coming up to me at Augusta National left and right complimenting my Azalea Roback Polo, okay? They have so many Masters-themed stuff, from hoodies to Q-zips to polos to hats. Go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get 15% off before this stuff sells out. I'm telling you, even though this is at the end of the Masters, it's coming out the Sunday, Master Sunday, they might already be sold out. So I, I need you to go to Roback.com immediately, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 15% off, and snag some of this, guys. I'm telling you, it's the best stuff out there. They're the best people out there, genuinely amazing people uh, that are running Roback. Truly amazing. And um, I just love the community they're building. And I love all the messages I get from you guys talking about how great the Roback stuff is. And I wouldn't steer you wrong. So Roback.com, enter the code train and hop aboard that Roback train. All right. Like I said with Dr. Bob Winters, 17 plus years as the resident sports psychologist for the Ledbetter Academy has coached pretty much every type of champion, US Open champ, British champ, Scottish, Australian amateur champions, uh, Masters champions. He's coached them all, okay? And the guy is the confidence doctor for a reason, and I thought this episode was so special because it was kind of a hybrid. We talk about very general things, but it's all rooted in what happened in the Masters. So what an amazing podcast to listen and start your week with, where I'm sure you guys were like me, watching the Masters all week, all weekend, and now you can kind of listen to a podcast recapping some of the stuff you saw, but applying it to your game to make you better. So definitely listen to the end. Uh, the, I'd say the last 25, 30 minutes was all focused on Scotty Scheffler and how to help you think like Scotty. Um, but we talk about more general things, Tiger, other players at the start. So definitely listen to the end. Thank you to Dr. Bob for coming on a second time. 
And thank you guys, as always, for hopping aboard the train. If we've added any value for you, a uh, Apple Podcast review would mean the world. And uh, if you're not following us already on the social medias, guys, I post four times a day on almost every platform, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Takes a lot of time, but I love doing it. And it's about things that we don't necessarily talk about on the show. So if you're loving the podcast, you don't follow us there. You're going to love gaining little nuggets every day on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at The Par Train. And guys, no matter how you're hitting it, no matter where you miss it, enjoy the ride. Take care, guys. Dr. Bob Winters, one of the renowned sports psychologists in the game today, second time hopping aboard the train, and we're going to talk the Masters. Welcome back, Bob. How are you? It's great. It's great to have a master's ticket with Evan Singer. So thanks, you know, put me at the front of the train. All right, here we go. I want to get back with you. This is your first time to the Masters, and you've got all these great Masters, the par train hats, and I've been seeing everything on social media. And I got to tell you, I want to know what you thought, you know, was, you know, the biggest thing that just really resonated or impressed you when you got to Augusta and entered, you know, the gate of what we call our holy grail here on earth, Augusta National. What was it like for you? It was amazing. We're going to probably do a full podcast recapping everything of my first experience, but I'll tell you this, Bob. To me, it makes sense. I walked every hole from 1 to 18, and it makes sense why Tiger and Phil, the two most erratic drivers of my generation, have won what? Phil at three, Tiger. Phil has three, okay, yeah, so eight. Yeah. And it makes sense because I don't think TV, everyone talks about the elevation, it's true, but I don't think the TV gives enough justice to how open it feels. Like, you see people hitting it left on one. First time I walked up one fairway, I'm thinking this fairway's humongous. You know, obviously <laughs> yeah. angles and... <clears throat> And being blocked out by trees, like that's that matters. But it's the greens. The greens are so small, they're so undulated, and the elevation change mixed with wind and conditions. I mean, that really forces a player to utilize all of their game, right? And so this week, you want to talk about mental learnings. This week is a mental drain right? Because it just requires every essence of your mind on every shot. Well, that's the whole point. You know, one swing can actually build or break momentum. And you're talking about the greens, the square footage of these greens. Some of them are very average to large as far as square footage. But you'll hear Tiger, you'll hear Phil, you'll hear Arnie and Jack through the years talk about these greens are separated parts. You have to have the ball in the right position because of the undulation, of the ridges, of the hogbacks. And I remember on 13 one time, Tiger was behind the green. It had to be 10, 12 years ago. And he said he was chipping to what he considered like a saucer plate. That was his landing spot. And people at home or people who've never been to Augusta National just don't realize how precise, you know, that these shots have to be and the great, great short games that all of these players possess. And when you see some of these players hit a shot and you think it's going to be, you know, one foot, two foot, three foot, and then it actually catches one of these slopes and one of these ridgebacks, 
and it takes off and goes 50, 60 feet away, you're going, my goodness, you know, how did that happen? So it's just something that you have to, you know, be there to really appreciate. But if you see it on TV, you have to give these guys a great, bravo, you know, well done. Because more than anything else, we can talk about hitting the ball long. But at Augusta, you've got to be a great approach iron player. And you've got to have a superior short game. And Scotty Scheffler showed that this week. I mean, he led, I think, the tour, uh, the Masters Championship, you know, in scrambling. He made a ton of putts from 5 to 15 feet, what I call the opportunity putts. And if people are going to practice, you know, in order to get their game down and chase some strokes off their game, that's the first place. And I'm not just saying from 100 yards and in. I'm just saying maybe 20, 30 yards and in. Because you saw a lot of those little bump and run shots, a lot of little pitch shots, parachute shots, but also those three, four, five, six footers that you just absolutely have to make because there's no recourse. I mean, either the ball goes in or you miss it. And then another big part you know, this week, Evan, is the whole notion about patience, about resilience and acceptance. I mean, those are three things right there. Uh, patience, yeah. acceptance and resilience. And those are the acronym for PAR. If you want to beat PAR, everyone, you know, pay attention to what we're going to be talking about, because I think that's exactly how you actually win tournaments. And I've always said that patience is confidence waiting to happen. So we saw that a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. this week in Augusta. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, Bob, that a place like Augusta, to your point, requires such precision. And you'll hear people say the phrase a lot. I have to, I can't miss it there. I have to miss it here or I'm dead, right? And then Mm -hmm. that creates a lot of tension and defensive swings. So isn't that interesting at arguably golf's biggest championship that the place that requires the most precision, you have to actually almost accept it and let that go. You have to commit and do the best you can to hit it to that spot but you can't be worried about not hitting that spot at the same time or your chances go down to be able to do that. So talk about that dichotomy at a place like Augusta, because it's got to be one of the hardest places to not do that. Well, when we start coming around, we always say the championship starts, you know, on number 10 on the backside on the final day, you're coming 10 and you've got to be able to put that ball long and deep to the right side and see if you can catch, you know, that downhill swale. So the ball gets down there versus having a 220, 205-yard shot to a tough green that slants right to left severely. And then you go to hole number 11. And 11, they've moved that tee so far back now. We've placed some uh, well-placed pine trees down the right side. And that second shot into 11 just scares the bejesus of, you know, every tour player that I've ever talked with or seen. And, but, you know, to your point is that there's, an acknowledgement there you acknowledge that there's trouble left on 11 you've got that you know little pond that little lake right there you know that is just a no-go red light yellow situation and the place to hit it you know ultimately is the right side of that green if that's where you're going to hit it and if you're going to actually make an error of execution you know the error is going to the right so when we get to a hole and we say oh i cannot not go left. Don't go left. Well, the point of it is, we always talk about, you know, negative thoughts, negative phrases, you know, the mind doesn't understand, don't. Well, it sure understands tension, okay? Right. 
But there has to be an acknowledgement that, yes, this is what the architect planned. I, don't, I do not want to go here. And so what it does for you know, all good players and for every, all of our listeners is that you have to focus your attention and your intention on this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. Instead of saying, oh, I can't miss the left, this is where I want to go. And that power of choice is a decision. And it's a decision that leads to confidence. It's a decision that leads to a fluid and flowing swing. And that's why you see so many of those players on 11 coming down, you know, the stretch, first, second, third, fourth day, they will hit that ball and you're going, man, they're not really you know, hitting that green. But that's a long, tough hole. They're hitting, you know, mid iron to long iron, sometimes hybrid into that. And there's just no way they're actually going to throw away strokes. And as I said, you know, on our first broadcast, when you and I first talked, I said, the whole notion of this game is to save strokes, not waste them. So when we're out there thinking about doing the very best we can with this power of focused intention and attention, we're saying, this is where I want, you know, the ball to go rather than, ooh, I have to avoid it. So that's really what happens. Well, it's interesting, Bob. Uh, I've got a quote written down from Justin Thomas in his Tuesday presser. I think it's a great segue because he was asked something about, you know, if he can tell if, if he preps harder, you know, for the majors and if other players prep harder for the majors. And he honestly said, yes, people would be lying if they said no. You're trying to peak for the biggest tournament. So you do actually, a lot of players prep differently for a major than any other tournament, right? But then he reflected on his PGA. And he said, but his major win, he didn't make it bigger than it needed to be, right? There's a way to try and still win without putting it on a pedestal, or adding extra pressure, knowing that that's not the most strategic, best strategy, right? So maybe right. speak to that of you've worked with tour players. And before we sure. dig into each player and learnings from the masters, I think that's a really important thing for the average player to remember, whether it's the Nassau game or a shot that matters down the stretch or a member guest. How do we get out our own way and not put these things on a pedestal? Well, that's the whole point about pressure. There is a great uh, research psychologist by the name of Bo Meister. So this definition of pressure is something I have alluded to for a long time. And he said, it increases the importance of you wanting to perform well. It could be one thing. It could be a number of different things. It could be, you know, a lot of people placing expectations. But where it comes from, it becomes from this value, the perceived value, the importance of the event. Oh, this is a major club championship, or I'm supposed to win this. So we put a lot of extra perceived value, and it creates a condition I call wantism. And then we have, you know, we're going to try really hard. And, and I have to, I must. You suffer from the tyranny of the shoulds. So the point, you know, we're always trying to give, you know, listeners, every shot has a neutral value. It's not any bigger or less than any other, other shot. So if you have a 150-yard shot into uh, a hole, Evan, what club would you take under normal conditions? 150 yards. Let's use Nine you that as an example. You'd have a nine iron. So that's the whole point. You know, when you are you know, coming down the stretch of your club championship, having your personal best day, and you're playing the final hole, and you have 150 yards to the hole, you don't want to be sitting there thinking, 
feeling and emoting. This is a big, big moment. This is a big shot. What we're trying to do is pare it down and say, this is the physical task. It will still be 150 yards. Your golf ball and your golf clubs don't know really what it is. And you have to disconnect you know, from this perceptual hijacking that's going on and stay in your routine and hit a 150-yard quality nine-iron shot. It's nothing less, nothing more. Now, that's easier to say than to do. But if you remind yourself, this is my philosophy. This is my personal playing philosophy. This is what I do. I have 150 yards. I've hit this shot hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Let's don't make it, you know, a mountain out of a molehill. So the same thing with, you know, a three-foot putt. Rather, you know, most people and most players who really sort of get, you know, in their way, they say, wow, this is for, you know, my personal best record, or this is for the win, or this is for the victory, or this is to break 80. You know, no, it's still a three-foot putt. So if we can actually just cut out all of that psychological fat and keep it, you know, in a physical task, execution task, we're a lot better off. And I think that's really what the pros do, because when you hear them talking about, what's my number? And, and they're actually deciding, they're making a very clear decision about this is the shot I hit and here's what I'm going to do. And that's why they really want to be very specific. And that's the old KISS, K-I-S-S. It doesn't mean keep it simple, stupid. It means keep it simple, specific, a simple thought with a specific target. If I do this, if I can just keep it, you know, the same stuff, you know, K-I-S-S, shot after shot after shot, that's where you get into a nice rhythm. You, you build your own flow, and now you have a great personal playing philosophy. I bet you, 95% of you, if I asked you to take a deep breath right now, your shoulders would probably go up. That means your chest breathing. The way to take yourself out of stress and into a state of calm is actually through diaphragmatic breathing or using your belly. Isn't it crazy that we all breathe without having to think about it, but we're unknowingly putting ourselves into an unnecessary amount of stress on and off the golf course simply by the way we're breathing? Well, good news. Okay, one of our new partners, NeuroPeak Pro, they work with Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, Kirk Cousins in the NFL, and so many others to help them with what they call precision breathing. Spieth actually calls it the scientific way to get in the zone. Now, you may think this is just another heart rate monitor because, you know, I was fooled at first too, but it's not. Let me explain. The NeuroPeak Pro Intel Belt is the first of its kind real-time training device, training in caps, okay, and mobile app designed to help unlock peak performance through better, more intentional breathing. They call it precision breathing, okay? So it's a trainer, not a tracker. It wraps around your torso, underneath your chest, and you literally do breath training and in real time, you can see your breath and heart's performance performance against the optimal state you're training for. Kind of like, I was thinking about it, it's kind of like when NBC Sports puts the world record time against a swim race in the Olympics and it helps kind of see where they're at. That's exactly what NeuroPeak Pro does with the Intel belt. So let me keep it simple here. Here's what I've been most amazed by so far while I've been using the Intel belt. The thing that you wear on the torso, it actually picks up the physical movement in your diaphragm. And it took almost a year to figure out how to pick up diaphragmatic movement. I know it sounds simple, but to actually measure to the T, like how much your belly is contributing to the breath. And it's not only that, it's tracking every single breath, but the quality 
of that breath. So it's showing me how my belly is doing and it gives me little guidance tips along the way. So like my data is a little low so far. I've got some ways to go, but in one of my metrics, it'll say something like the closer you can get this number to 100, the better. And mine's at like a 52 so far. Um, So as I practice, it's telling me how I'm doing and it gives me this North Star metric, which I really liked. So the key here is if you want to learn how to get in the zone in seconds, not just by chance, but actually train it. And in seconds, you go to neuropeakpro.com, order the Intel belt, enter the code train. It'll give you a free annual subscription for part train listeners only. And I'm telling you, the idea of being able to actually practice so that no matter what situation you go into on and off the course of stress, nerves, anxiety, to be able to have that tracker alongside you while you breathe to know exactly, okay, this is how it feels when I'm breathing well, but maybe that's not the optimum way to do it. The app is showing me, okay, I can be deeper. My breaths can be a little bit smoother. Maybe I'm holding my breath. I didn't even realize it. That's something I did. Neuropeak Pro graphs all of that out for you in real time while you're breathing. So it's really amazing. I now know why Jordan Spieth and Bryson DeChambeau are paying them, not the other way around. So go to neuropeakpro.com, enter the code train, and get a free subscription with your Intel belt. All right, now let's get back to the show. Yeah, well, just think about the different of the feeling of having five holes to go to win my first Masters and hang on versus, okay, I've got a 140-yard shot here. Ted, his caddy, Scotty's caddy, what do you like here? Okay, there's a little win, right? Just the feeling of those two things. One is crazy anxiety and tension because we're focused on the meaning and the other is very straightforward done it a million times so that's what we talk about this so many times on this show dr bob because i feel like a lot of people might hear what you just said and think well that's now i'm just telling you're telling me to like lie to myself that this isn't a big shot but i would argue well no it can be true, but it's not productive. It's not the right strategy of way to think, is thinking about well, the, 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 point, the size of the moment, right? Right. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to actually get the offer into this moment, into this physical task, into this shot. Because I've always talked about this, and this is really one of my key quotes. It's a thought about golf and winning. And it goes like this. If you're over a shot, and if you're thinking about winning, you're thinking about the results, you're thinking about all the possible outcomes, it's highly likely that you'll miss that shot. And winning and all the good stuff is out of your reach. Mm. However, if you're over that same shot and totally focused into executing what you need to do on this shot and nothing more, winning and all the good stuff comes to you. And I mean, just like, you know, today you know, with Scotty Scheffler, he was saying, you know, hey, I just, you know, kept an even keel. You know, I, I really have learned to win by realizing I don't have to play perfect golf. I don't have to do anything. I can actually just play my game. But what he's talking about is 
he's giving himself emotional freedom, the permission to play his game without saying, I have to do this, I have to do that. Because, you know, it's a tough game. I mean, it's really the most unfair game. It's sort of like the Las Vegas odds. I mean, the house, you know, has, you know, the odds. And you have to take advantage of every break, every opportunity that the golf course gives you. So if you know that going in and you have a great playing strategy, you're probably going to actually shoot a lot better and, and be happier with your golf execution. Yeah. And I think you saw that. And we'll get to Scotty. I, I'm sure the second half of this will be focused on Scotty because I want to help people think like Scotty. But uh, the fact that he went from instead of holding on, extending his lead with going for it on 15 around a tree, that just shows his plan didn't change, right? He's not going to be reckless, right? right. Um, you can still adapt to the situation. But that was very telling to me is that he liked his number. He had a shot at it. He felt good about it, and he went for it. And I think most amateur golfers might have been trying to hold on and totally reverse their game plan. It's funny that you say that because, you know, most amateur golfers can't stand prosperity. They have two or three really good holes. Yeah. They make a couple of birdies, and they start sitting there going, well, man, I need to hold on to this. This is going to be great. And they start <laughs> playing the game of, I need to protect my score. Yeah. I need to protect my birdies. And so they go from a very offensive, attacking, smart, aggressive posture into a very defensive, I just need to hold on. And it's, it's funny because I've worked with some of the, the great, great you know, front runners in, in golf over these many, many years. And what I see in every great front runner, they aren't holding on to anything. Blitzkrieg tank approach. They're going to keep moving forward, mm. moving forward over and over and over. They're not holding on to anything mm. because they realize that as soon as you start holding on, you start self-reflecting, you have that self-awareness, you start counting, you start totaling, and you start saying, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this. You know, this could happen here versus what's in front of me? What's, what's the next thing? So that's the whole point. And that's why when people have the lead, you know, a lot of people say, I'd rather be the chaser. I'd rather be one, two, three shots behind because I can be that smart, aggressive, you know, golfer. I could actually come after him because this, you know, the leader is probably going to hold on or maybe, you know, back up. And that's why I've always told my players, do not let the lead, and this is a play on words, become led. It's L-E-A-D, <clears throat> lead and lead, because the lead, the heaviness of having this psychological, perceptual pressure, it holds you back. It holds you, it weighs you down. So it's not that you're trying to let go of the lead. It's just that I have nothing at the 12th hole. What I do have, I've been playing great all day. And I'm building confirmation. Let's keep it going. What, mm -hmm. what I'm doing is working. And every great player and at every level, junior golf, college golf, develop, developmental tour, you know, elite level, tour level, they think this way. They keep moving forward. And if they have a bad shot, they have a bad hole, they've got to put it behind them. And that's where the acceptance and the release and getting back into the next shot. Sounds very basic. And it sounds like the cliche, but this is where the cliche is the golden nugget. And until yep. people start to really understand this, 
and they go, gosh, I've been thinking about it wrong all the time. I've been thinking about making birdies and making eagles and, and really beating my opponents and, and trying to have the best swing. Those are all the games of distraction and the games of you know, faulty expectations. And they will take you down the wrong train path. Okay. They're, yeah. they're not going to get you back, you know, to the, to the, to the clubhouse, you know, with a smile on your face for sure. So let's talk about tiger doc. To me, the first two days I thought were vintage tiger, right? You turn an average round into a good score tiger. I think the first round was just a masterclass. I tweeted this a masterclass in course management and scrambling, right? Leaning on your short game. And day two was patience, staying in it and following up a poor front nine with a good back nine and giving himself a chance for the weekend, right? But what was your overall take with Tiger? I mean, clearly the weekend, you could tell that was a tough battle for no way he let on what was actually going on for his body. But just talk about your, your takeaway with Tiger and something that the average player can learn from that. Uh, I've known Tiger Woods since 1993, 94, when he was playing for Stanford. And saw him as a college kid, saw him as a young player, you know, coming up. But there were two tournaments this week. There was the Tiger Masters, and then there was the real Augusta Masters. And when you see on Monday the effect that Tiger has on the golf world. Now, let's be very frank, very honest here. For Tiger Woods to be teeing it up, in this tournament, to be walking these hills that are drastic, drastic, you know, vertical and elevation up and down. It's, it's, he is a modern marvel, you know, a, a medicine. And it has taken, you know, a year and a half of some of the very best surgeons, physical rehab people, the determination and willpower of one Tiger Woods. He's a different cat. I mean, he really is. I mean that, you know, literally and figuratively, he really is a different cat. He has a different mindset. And when he's talking in his presser, I think on Tuesday, do you believe that you can win? He said, convincingly, I do. Uh, but no one really knows the amount of preparation, the wrapping of his legs and cause he has rods and pins, you know, in that leg. And, uh, when you see how he sort of was laboring, he had a labored gait, you know, even on the first day. But it was, he was just going out there and it was remarkable to see his short game, his creativity, his patience, but also his grittiness. I mean, we talk about, you know, him being the ultimate grinder. He got the ball up and down out of places that were just phenomenal. And so to see Tiger, but also, there was another effect, and that was the you know, third round, brutally cold weather came through. You know, high winds dried the golf course out, and uh, it was very cold. And I think that really had an effect on him. It had an effect on everybody. And that's why, you know, on the third day, moving day, it wasn't moving day. It was just sort of, you know, maintain your position and don't lose, you know, spots on the ladder going down. But, you know, I, I feel all in all, and then somebody asked me, what did you think of Tiger's performance? And I tell them, because I live in Orlando, Florida, and we had father-son here in our town. He and Charlie played. And I said, I really figured that Tiger Woods was gearing himself up for the Masters and the Majors back in December when he played here in Orlando. When he and Charlie, I think, birdied 11 or 12 out of the last 13, 14 holes the second day to 
finish you know, one stroke behind John Daly Sr., John Daly Jr., which was a, a hell of, you know, of, of a victory you know, for the Dailies. But here, you know, in, in the local press, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have known that the Dailies won the tournament. But it was all about Tiger and, and Charlie you know, making this vintage run. But I think then, and even having Charlie here down here at Augusta the week before, he was testing his leg. It wasn't his game, his golf game. He's got the game. St. Andrews, for sure, you know, be watching out for Tiger to actually make the cut, no matter what he shoots. This was a huge success. And I really felt, but after the first round, son of a gun. I mean, he's going to do it again. I mean, he's, he's going to be there. So, but I think the weather and his condition, you know, just, it just kind of sort of, you know, weighing on him as the week went on. We, we don't even know how much rehabilitation, how much he had to ice his legs. Uh, so he had to reduce the pain. We don't know how much prep is, goes into all of this. But I do know he toughed it out. He made it, you know, all 72 holes. And my hat's off, you know, to one Tiger Eldrick Woods. I mean, once again, he has proven to me that he is absolutely a guttiest, uh, most mentally disciplined and just gives it his all. And I think that's really what everybody should learn is that it, it's not over until it's over. No matter how bad, how bad your round goes. I mean, you've got to be able to take a punch in golf and you've got to be able to you know, step up and give it right back to golf. Because if golf knocks you down, then you have what I call a golfer's glass jaw. Like in boxing or ultimate fighting, if you get hit and you, you get knocked out, you're down on the mat. But it's the real true athletes, the true competitors that you know, get back up and give you know, a shot back. And I think that's really what all of us can learn is that you have to be resilient. You've got to be gritty. And you've just got to, you know, hey, four is less than five in my book and five is less than six. So if you understand that lesson from a very basic guttural level, you, you really understand what mental toughness is all about. Yeah, isn't it funny, Bob, how it's easy to get down and upset after a result didn't match your expectation, right? It's easy to feel embarrassed if someone else performs better than you or you miss a shot, right? But it takes another level. It takes the next step of being able to observe something that happened and then choose, like you said at the beginning, it's a choice. The ability to then observe it, say, okay, that's what happened. Now what can I do to move forward? And choose a harder thought, which is still confidence, encouragement, hope, focus on what's next, right? Instead of getting down on what's happened. I think a lot of people live their life in the former and that's because it's easy to do that. Like that's, it doesn't take, it takes work to get to the next thing, but it actually isn't that hard. It's just a, really a practice, just like anything else. I think Tiger it's, it's should. A mental, yeah, it's a mental discipline. But yeah. I mean, let's, let's not mistake that bad emotions they're stronger than good emotions. Oh, sure. I mean, we're wired, you know, to, to really to survive. We're right. not wired, you know, to create happiness and be optimistic. And that's why, you know, when we take a shot and, you know, it, it hits us and it's not the result we anticipated or imagined, there's an expectation gap. You know, our results match those expectations and we become frustrated, angry and, and disappointed. But the point being is, You've got to be able to say, hey, that's golf. 
That's the way it is. And, and if you really love golf, you've got to understand that that's coming. The very best players learn to have this philosophy that says, okay, now what am I going to do now? I mean, you can sit there and have, you know, spilt milk and, and cry your eyes about it and have a pity party, but nobody comes to your pity party, all right? You know, you're out there by yourself. And that's the whole problem, you know, with the people that are listening to this going, yeah, but that's hard to do. Well, if they're thinking that, and I'm talking to you, you know, the listeners listening to this podcast, you know, how many times have you played around, you got upset and you started, you know, thinking negative, saying negative things to yourself. You know, I just want you to, you know, remember this saying is nothing good, nothing positive, nothing productive comes out of a negative thought, feeling, or emotion, nothing good. And you're only hurting yourself. And what happens is that we be ourselves and we take this trash from this shot and we carry it into the next shot and the next shot and next shot until we realize, oh my goodness gracious, I played three holes and I have been a garbage collector. And people listening to the par train, this is where you know, you've, get, you've given some great information having people like myself and a lot of my colleagues on, is that you need to be aware you know, hey, bad stuff has happened, and you need to almost instantly evaluate and accept it, and then be able to release, you know, that's, those negative emotions. And then as you're walking to your next shot, be able to release any bad feelings and work yourself into the vigor of the good shot of the next shot, so that you're not carrying your trash from one shot to another. That skill right there probably one of the most important things that, you know, people can actually get here from, you know, this podcast, just accept it you know, and just yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about Tiger before we've, Bob, I could talk to you for hours. So we're already like halfway through. I want to get to Scotty, but before I do, <laughs> all right. um, the last thing I'll say about Tiger, it seems like Tiger, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, they all seem to share a very similar trait, which is they love doing the impossible, right? So Tiger walking and playing in Augusta probably is a big thing that drove him for the last year and a half. Like that is something that is a huge, that's Hogan-esque with what happened with Hogan, right? And his accident. Yes. And Jordan on The Last Dance talked a lot about this, about how every night, you know, they, they needed to create new challenges, new narratives to fire themselves up. Jordan would, would create these rivalries with other players to, like, get himself going. Brady loves being the oldest player, right, and still almost winning the MVP. So I think the takeaway for me, and I'd love to get your take before we talk about Scotty, is they seem to embrace challenges almost as much, if not more, than winning. They love it. They love being behind the eight ball. You think that's fair? Well, I, I, oh, I think it's very fair. I think it's very childlike, too. Childlike yeah. when you have that mindset when, you know, a big bully or somebody in the neighborhood says, you're not good enough, you can't do this, who do you think you are? And they're thinking, the hell I can't. Right. You know, I'm, I'm going to show you right now I'm going to do it. And right. I look back at, you know, Tom Brady. Here he was, you know, he was, what, the sixth quarterback, you know, drafted, you know, many, many years ago. And he went up to see Robert Kraft, you know, and he said, hi, Mr. Kraft. I'm, he goes, I know who you are. You're my sixth, you know, round draft pick. Yeah. And he looked at him and he looked at Mr. Kraft. And I love this story about Tom Brady. You mentioned Tom Brady. He goes, yes. 
and it's the best, you know, sixth round draft pick you'll ever make. And as the years went on and he became this superhero, the superstar, Robert Kraft goes, oh, yeah, we laugh about that now. Well, that's really where the chip on the shoulder comes, you know, for like someone like Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan or even a Tiger. You know, when they have this in, insurmountable odds against them, people say, yeah, I don't think he can do that. So, you know, they don't think like everybody else. They, like I say, they're different, you know, cats out there. Michael Jordan, uh, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, I mean, the best of the best ever. They, they think, okay, I'm not going to compare myself to history or whatever's been done. I'm going to compare myself to what I believe I can do. Maybe that's an unrealistic expectation, but they really don't have any limits. They have a limitless mindset that, hey, if, if it is to be, you know, it's up to me. I can do this. So they, they really don't hold themselves back. And that's what I think is a great mindset. Because I've always asked people, are, are you good? And people go, well, yeah, I'm good. And I say, well, how do you know that you're good? And they go, well, I don't know. I've won tournaments. I'm a professional. I'm this, I'm that. And I say, well, how good do you want to be? And they go, well, the best. I said, have you ever thought about you know, the limits? You know, you're looking at everyone else, comparing yourself to everybody else. Why don't you quit comparing yourself? And just give yourself this open-ended, this is really where I'm going. Because my life is a never-ending self-improvement project. And that's really what a self-fulfilling prophecy is. You know, your life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'm going to have all of my athletes, hey, how good, you know, would you be if you didn't know how good you had to be? Let's go out and be fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that limitless mindset, now you're talking, you know, a whole different game. And every listener that's listening to this, you know, if I just said one of the first things you could do to improve your golf game, put down the scorecard, put down, you know, quit, you know, thinking, quit counting. Let's just go out and make every shot count because that's really what a 1% great elite mindset is. The 99 percenters are counting every shot. They're totaling shots. They're getting ahead of themselves. So if I can get people to make every shot count, Let's find out how good I can be today. And I'll total it up at the end. I think they would find, you know, it'd be fascinating, you know, the, the change that they could make in the golf game. What a great quote. Quit counting, just make every shot count. I love that. I wrote that down. All right, guys, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll get you right back to the show. We've got a brand new partner that you guys are going to absolutely love. I guarantee it. So I got a bold statement here before I get into this. I believe that one of the most, if not the most, most underrated piece of apparel or garment that we wear during golf rounds is the belt. I think the belt can make or break the round of golf. And Hank was actually joking with me off air. He said that he wears the same belt for everything. And I realized I was kind of doing the same thing. I kind of had this like gray woven stretchy belt that I, I liked for golf. And I kind of wore it for everything. And it's kind of funny. It's like I'm not in college anymore. You know, like obviously I have a dress belt for when I go to a wedding or something. But other than that, I pretty much use the same belt for everything. And I think my belt was kind of just like an add-on. It was more functional. It wasn't really adding much to the outfit. So you could wear something pretty standard, striped shirt, khaki shorts. But the belt could actually make 
a little make your outfit with like a little bit of flair, you know, and that's what I love. And that this is why we started working with Roosta's belts. Okay. Roosta's belts. We met at the PGA show and we told them, we said, you know, the Partrain family needs a belt sponsor. We need a belt partner that we genuinely love. We need the best belts out there. And Roosta's was that for us. Okay. They make unbelievable belts. And I think the best belts out there. Okay. I actually got, so I got two of them. I got the Oahu belt, which is a black belt with little white specks in them. And I got the Bandon, which is a subtle green with white accents. Now, here's how I chose the belts. Obviously, it's tough in a podcast to figure out you know, what they look like. So I want you to go to shoproostas.com. That's R-O-O-S-T-A-S. Roostas. Shoproostas.com. Enter the code TRAIN. You get 15% off your entire order plus free shipping. Okay, that's big. Now, here was what was in my mind selecting my belts, okay? I wanted something that would pretty much go with everything but can give me that little piece of flair, add and elevate my outfit just a little bit. You know, if you want to go obnoxious, they have those options too. Obnoxious probably isn't the word, probably more flashy, right? But I wanted something that adds a little bit of flash but it isn't super loud. You know, it's more subdued. So I went with the Oahu, which is black with white specks and the Bannon with green. They are super stretchy, high quality. Uh, it's actually two-toned woven elastic stretch belts with a crossing pattern braid, uh, if that's what you get. The buckle is 100% genuine leather and alloy zinc um, for the metal piece. And guys, they are, they've got a bunch of colors that align kind of with different colleges. And I'm telling you, I'm really excited about sharing this with you guys because I know you're going to absolutely love it. And it's probably the thing in your ensemble. I know a lot of you are buying Roback stuff. This is the way to elevate your Roback outfits and elevate your outfit. Okay. I'm telling you, go to shoproostas.com, enter the code train, get 15% off your entire order, plus free shipping, and elevate that outfit. Look good, feel good, play good, baby. I'm telling you. Again, genuinely from the bottom of my heart, we are only bringing people on this show as partners that we know that you will love, okay? I go through, I take every product that wants to work with us and I take it through rigorous testing and make sure it's top-notch quality and something I genuinely want to wear. And Roosta's is now my go-to belt. And a lot of people are DMing us all the time saying they can't believe how good this stuff is. Uh, when we share Roback and other things, and it just makes me laugh that people don't believe me. So I'm telling you, I would not steer you wrong, okay? Shoproostas.com, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 15% off, plus free shipping. You guys will not regret it. All right, let's get back to the show. So I told you this before we started recording. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play a soundbite. I shared this on social media this week. Uh... I'm going to share this soundbite in Scotty Scheffler's press conference, and we're going to use that as a jumping off point to help people think like Scotty. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Played some terrific golf uh, during your time on the PGA, but this last two-month stretch since Phoenix, can you explain exactly you know, what's, what's happening and, and maybe why you're playing so well right now? That's a good question. I mean, I, I feel like I've been very committed to my shots. You know, I haven't 
Um, I've done a really good job mentally of just setting up to the shots and, you know, accepting that I'm going to hit bad ones and being fully committed to hitting good ones. And, you know, for me, I've, I've prepared for a long time to be in moments like this and to win golf tournaments. And, um, you know, like I said at the beginning of the week, I've done all the preparation that I can do. And if I win this golf tournament, then great. And if I don't, that's okay, too, because I, I did everything I could. And um, I'm prepared, and, you know, the rest isn't up to me. I've got a lot of thoughts, but you're my guest host today, Doc, so I'm going to give it to you. Well, you know, really what he's saying is something, you know, that we have been preaching about for a long time. That You know, this is what I call creating your own zone. It's a zone of personal control. Gotti Scheffler is going into every shot. He's done his work. He's trained. He's transferred. He's prepared. So now he's giving himself this emotional permission slip to say, all right, this is what you do. You're a professional player. Let's go out and play your game and let's play it one shot at a time. So playing one shot at a time, he's saying, I step into every shot. What am I doing? I'm making really clear decisions. I'm really sort of rehearsing. I've got, you know, the shot in my head. I'm really uh, committing to the shot, not just the shot. And let's talk about that notion of commitment because commitment is a pledge and a promise that this is what I'm going to do now in this moment, this time, this one shot. But when you commit, you're committing to your target, you're committing to the club you're using, you're committing to the feel that you've actually rehearsed before you step in to aim and address the ball. But most of all, you're committing to this green light, committing to, yes, this is what I want to do with this shot. So as you step in and across what I call this imaginary trust line that I've been talking about for 35 years, when you step across that trust line, and now you step in to aim and address the ball. You have a green light that says go. So now all you're doing now is looking at the target, reacting to the target, swinging to your target, and you can swing freely. And that's really you know, what you know, Scott has done. Now, the point being is, as he hits the ball, he realizes that all of this control, it's out the window now. He has to be able to do the last step of any great routine, and that is to accept the result. Now, accepting also means that you have to give yourself the power of choice. You have, you know, the power of choice to think, I'm going to react negatively. I'm gonna, I have the power of choice to react poorly, or I have the power of choice to accept it, live with it, you know, accept it, and release it, and move on. And he also, you know, talks about that, that he doesn't have to be perfect. He's giving up you know, all these you know, expectations. And he's also saying, hey, I'm going to miss a few shots. I mean, I remember you know, Hogan you know, telling Nick, hey, I only hit me four or five perfect shots in a round. The rest are all miss hits, according to Hogan. You know, we all can't be that Hogan-esque. But you know, what we need to do is say, you know what? Okay, that shot wasn't my best, but it's, it's still effective. Instead of saying, you know, this is a bad shot or I, that's a miss hit or, you know, that's a good miss. I don't let my players use that vocabulary. I always talk about, you know, was it effective? Did it get the job done? It may not have been pretty. It may not have been perfect, but is it effective? So what I think that most golfers can learn a lot from is this whole notion of learned effectiveness. And that's really what Scotty has done this week at the Masters. He just said, I'm going to go out and do my thing play my game and I'll let you know the chips fall where they may. And here he is at 10 under and he wins, you know, the 86 masters in a tournament, you know, yeah. well done. 
isn't it funny, Bob? We talk, we've talked a lot on this show, and I've made a proclamation to our listeners. I said, 2022 is the year of the short game, all right? We're, we're done as, as amateur golfers spending an hour at the range and no time at, at the short game area. I want us to spend at least 50-50, if not 80% at the short game area, 20% at the range. Now, one thing I wanted to share that I realized recently, um, I'm going to share a quick story about my dad, okay? Played golf with, in Georgia with my dad. We got rained out. We played nine holes at Reynolds Plantation. Um, great waters. But um, something I heard him say, the day before my wedding, I'm getting married in August, Bob, and we're playing Pasa Tiempo the day before, okay? And my dad's the type of player that he loves practicing in the basement, loves working on his swing, loves talking about, you know, fundamentals, but he doesn't play that often. So he said something to me that struck me. He said, I'm going to need to really practice before we go out and play. It's been a while, right? Now, of course, like, a lot of people feel that way. That's not a terrible thing to say. But I realized the core, the notion of that statement, because I used to feel this way too. Oh, if I'm going to go play, like I, I was offered the chance to maybe still up in the air to play in this LPGA Pro-Am. And the first reaction my, my mind says is, ooh, I better, you know, I better start practicing because I don't want to embarrass myself, right? But the short game is a powerful thing, Bob, because my time has now shifted. And now for the first time in my golfing life, I actually get excited when I miss a green. And I'm excited to, I feel confident around the greens now. And I'm giving myself, you know, three footers a lot now. And I'm understanding how to use the bounce for the first time. And it's fun. It's fun to feel good. Now, what I'll say with Scotty is Scotty is committed and he's accepting, like you said, of bad shots. A lot because he has a lot of faith and he's put a lot of time in his ability to recover, right? Now, part of that is mindset. Part of that is prep. I would say a lot of our listeners are getting so caught up in holding on and not making mistakes because their short game isn't there to support them. And I think the masters, I saw it through a different lens this year, being there and now having worked on my short game a lot recently. That's what these guys do better than anyone else. They're hitting shots all over the map, just like us, but they can get up and down from anywhere. And so I just wanted to share that because I think that's important that as much as our mind is important, you got to put in the work too, and more so around the greens than thinking that your swing's got to be perfect the next time you go play. It's funny that you talk about that because I have always said, and I'm really big in acronyms, as you know, P-A-R patience, you know, attitude, resilience, recovery, whatever it is. Yeah. But PAR also stands for, you know, power, accuracy, and recovery. And we're always talking about, you know, the power game, going out there and hitting it 300, 300 plus. But really, when you start really talking about, you know, great players, great players have power, maybe limited power, sufficient power, but they're very accurate and they have great recovery skills. And that's where, you know, our listeners, your listeners, you know, me just being a guest host, but, you know, your listeners, if they can actually just go out, you know, 10 to 12 steps off of the green, where most people miss, you know, their approach irons into the green. It yeah. isn't 50 yards, 100 yards. It's usually maybe just, you know, seven or eight steps. 
And I have probably worked with, I can't tell you, you know, close to almost a hundred college teams over these many, many years. And I've talked about this eight step drill is that you, you take eight steps from the corner of a green, drop a ball. And your task is to get the ball up and down or up and in from that position. Now you can go around to 10 different stations on this eight step drill. And it's a great drill because each shot, each situation is a new situation. It has a different context. Maybe it's a different line. Maybe it's different grass. Maybe it's short grass. Maybe it's a tight line. Maybe it's a heavy rough. But if you can actually just you know, get some great challenges there, instead of looking at it as a threat, oh my goodness, my short game stinks. It sucks. You know, now you start to say, hey, you know, I'm developing some competence, mm -hmm. which is you know, the forerunner of confidence. Now I have this, this skill set competence that I can hit this little 54 degree degree bump and run shot and then when we take a look at scotty scheffler i mean here's a guy who's got great power but his short game was was on display all week just mm -hmm. a little bump and run shots just a little low shots you know into and the creativity and that's what's fun i think that's really what you're finding out yeah. it's the imagination the creativity that you can have with these games and just playing you know by yourself and just going okay can i get this ball up and down I have you know two different stations around the green. Par is two at every different station, and people say, "Well, what's a good score?" Well, twenty-four and under is a great score because you have to go up and cut out. So it really puts emphasis on the shot that you have to hit. You know, like a wedge up there, and if you hit it, you know, ten feet in the hole, well, you're going to be working on putts. You know, but what you find is that you start really creating some finesse shots, some drop shots, some spin shots. And you start having four and five footers. And then when you actually go out and play, this is the transfer effect. We've talked for years and people say, well, you need to train it. You need to trust it. For, for years, I was saying, train, if you're training it, you should damn well be trusting it while you're training. But you have to be able to transfer you know, what you're learning and these preparation and practice playing rounds. So when you do go out in a performance round, when it really counts, it's the same. And you, you could say to yourself, I have this requisite and I have the right mindset and I'm going to have some fun with this. But that's really where you, you create it. And, I, and I'm so glad that you're going that way, because I remember telling it like on a pie chart years ago, if we used to say 40 percent, 45 percent is putter, then how much is it, you know, with, you know, the short game? Well, short game is about 28, to almost 30 percent. That's 70%, right? You know, that's almost three quarters of the whole game. But everybody has spent 100% of their time working on the long game. But, you know, it's really where you become proficient in the short game. You can actually become confident and create confidence from the green going back to the tee. And it actually, you know, sort of frees you up, you know, with your driver and your approach irons. You just sit there and go, eh, no big deal. I can get this ball up and down. We're good to go. Yeah. And I noticed Scotty. He and Dottie said this, and Dottie's been on the show a few times, and uh, she said that he does, he keeps it simple, going back to Kiss, right? Like, he doesn't, yeah. even the shot on three that I know he wasn't trying to make, that was a huge momentum boost, but he felt comfortable keep it, keeping it low, and he takes the percentage shots, which I think of anything that Scotty Scheffler does, the average player can take that. And I've started to do that too. Like I've started to say, okay, 
instead of thinking I need my 60, I'm going to start practicing the same motion with my 56, with my 52, with my pitching wedge. And I'm going to start to understand trajectory. I'm going to start to understand uh, rollout. I'm going to understand distances. And there's actually a real freedom, Bob, that comes with keeping it simple, not feeling like I have to hit these huge flop shots. If I need to, I'll, I'll commit to it, right? If that's the shot it calls for. But so many of us make it harder on ourselves. And I think Scotty is a perfect example of that guy keeps it simple. He keeps it closer to the ground. It'll be interesting to see him in the open as well because yeah. he seems real comfortable keeping it low. Well, I thought it was really interesting. You know, there was a, a bump and run that Tiger Woods hit, you know, this earlier this week. He used a six iron and everybody goes, oh, my goodness. That's such old school. Well, that's where I said old school is cool school, right? Yeah. Because I always remember Gary Player giving one of his great little demonstrations about hitting a seven iron up, you know, from this little bump and run. He goes, most people want to use the 58, you know, they want to hit that fill, the thrill, you know, flop web shot. And he said something I thought was sage advice. He says, if you're playing for dough, you want to keep it low. Mm. And he actually just kind of bump it up there. And because you have more control over that sort of a chip, that has kind of a nice putt rollout versus yeah. trying to hit that you know spinner that actually goes in like a duck going to the water and actually grabs and, and stops really close to hole. That's that's a very specialized shot. But you know, uh, I applaud you know your efforts for keeping it simple because this is what the great players do. The game is difficult enough. You don't have to start adding confusion and all these different variables. You know, just back and through. And I think that's really what. Scotty Scheffler, that's what Tiger Woods has done. And I know over the years, Bernhard Long, Raymond Floyd, Greg Norman, these guys were some of the best chippers, wedge players that I had ever seen. I mean, and modern day, you've got people like Justin Thomas, and they have like all the shots. But, you know, for, for a, a regular player, hey, you know, if you can get the ball low around the green. Take the seven iron, take the eight iron, you know, use that little bump run shot. And, and don't be afraid if you're just right off the collar to use that Texas wedge, to use that putter, because uh, that's what Jack Nicholas did. Jack Nicholas said, anytime I can get a chance to putt, and this is what he was telling Arnold Bomber. Arnie says, you know, why are you using a putt? And Jack says, hey, it's a higher percentage shot. And Jack's won more tournaments, more majors, and, and had more second, third place finishes in the majors than anybody. So, yeah. And he was smarter than the average bear, even though he was the golden bear. But he was smart, and he just figured you know, he's going to get the ball in the hole in the most efficient and effective way possible. Let's talk about the first few holes with Scotty, because I think this is so important and not enough people talk about it, Bob. So Scotty is known for the big power cut, right? And okay. from a mental standpoint, going into your first major with the lead on Sunday, number one player in the world, and think about what he did on 18 yesterday with the snap hook in the woods, right? And DJ has been struggling with this as of late. That can be really jarring when you've got a go-to shot and I'm sure they miss some left, but for the most part, they're pretty clear on which side of the golf course they're used to missing it on, um, which gives them, you know, support in the commitment and the confidence part. But Scotty, the first few holes was missing it left. And Faldo talked about this. What is something that if your go-to shot is not working right away, I think the greats are really good at not taking too much meaning from it, not, not panicking, 
not thinking that that means something's wrong, they need to fix something, but usually it leads to them getting back to basics and doing what they do. And you saw after number three, Scotty started to get into back to his rhythm, hitting his high cut. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts from a sports psychology standpoint. When that jarring, that unusual miss happens, what's a great thing for the average player to lean on there? Or that you saw in Scotty? Well, I think, well, you know, I see it in Scotty, but also you see it in Tiger Woods for years. Tiger would have the very, the very best warm up. And Hank Haney said on Colt No Show yeah. a few weeks ago, the guy who had the worst transfer from the range, you know, to the golf was Tiger Woods because he never really missed anything. Almost every first tee at the Masters. And this really talks about even the greatest in the world gets all amped up. And maybe he's not even really sure where his body is. Tiger would step up and he would hit what Hank Haney said about, you know, his book title, you know, the big miss. That was Tiger's big miss. It would just be just a big hook left. And he'd be way over there in nine fairway or, you know, even in those woods almost every time. Yeah. So, but he would actually know that this is a pattern. But you have to get back to rudimentals. And so each player, I mean, people listening to me, if you have a swing key or a swing cue, this is what, this is the one thing that I do in my rehearsal, in my pre-shot routine. This is what I'm doing. This is the feel that I'm trying to generate. We call it in my world, neural priming. We're trying to prime the pump. This is the feeling that I'm trying to rehearse that I'm going to create and recreate when I step into the ball. So if there's two or three shots, you know, they're always going left, always going left. There's a pattern there. And if you can kind of recognize that and say, okay, you know, what's, what caused me to actually, you know, move that ball left? Well, you know, if you understand your swing a little bit, you know, and maybe just slowing things down because really in the first few holes, people are a little bit quick. I mean, mm -hmm. they just a little bit snatchy, a little bit quick. They don't complete their, their turn. And I remember years ago, because uh, I was one of the mental game consultants for the Golden Bear Tour, Jack Nicholas down here in Southern Florida for all the new developing tour players. I remember asking Jack, I said, on the first tee or on the first couple of holes, what is one of the things that you do that really helps you, you know, really complete and really hit a good shot? And he said, most of the time, I'm not completing my swing. He goes, I've always felt if I made a good turn, a big full turn. So in my rehearsal, I would actually make a, even a bigger, more complete swing. Because when we get under the gun, get a little pressure, we, we get a little bit short. And then we have to sort of have our body overcompensate and our hands, you know, get in there too fast. But, you know, it was him just making that full turn. So that's really what I'm trying to help my athletes. You know, what is the one thing that you do, your key, your golden key? This is what I do to actually hit a solid shot and we're just talking about really hitting it square maybe it's you know having a smoother turn maybe it's just not rushing yourself maybe it's even just walking into the shot to aim and address it just a little bit slower but you know you never hit a golf ball in your backswing remember i was told that as a player many many years <laughs> ago you, you don't hit the ball in your backswing That's so true. really the backswing and the and the turn away is to get you know your hands in a position at the top so you can make a nice transition to come into the ball with a nice square powerful blow you know where the club head's going right down into the impact area right down the target line so you you never really want to get too quick with the hands too snatchy 
but you just really want to make a nice, you know, good, you know, rehearsal swing. So when you step into the ball, you're now not even really thinking about mechanics. You've already preset it in your mind and you're not really going to be trying to jump, you know, willy nilly from one swing thought to another swing cue to another swing thought. Oh, this is what this guy said, you know, the last hole, this is what you need to do. You, you need to kind of, you know, just say, okay, this is what I do. This is how I do it. And what usually happens, you know, the ship usually tends to write itself. It does. So, you know, that's, that's the big thing. But, you know, I'll tell you what, the other thing is you have to have this attitude that, wow, where did that shot come from? Again, that's golf. Because yeah. one of the scariest shots is the shot that you go, I don't know where that shot came from. Right. So that's where you really have to go back to the basics. And there's got to be a level of belief of my basics are good enough. Right. So I, I know that goes back to Scotty talking about his prep. Right. It's okay yeah. if it if it goes great and I win, great. If not, that's okay too, because I did everything I could. So I think to piggyback on what you just said for our listeners, Bob, to me, the most important thing for the par train listener is I bet you a lot of them don't know what their thing is. And some people may be saying, well, I don't have a lot of time to play. I don't have a lot of time to practice. Well, let's get even more strategic about the time you're spending then, right? Let's get really clear on your tendencies. Let's get really clear on the feels that help you hit your best shots. And then let's spend more time on recovery, like we just talked about, because we know those errant shots are going to be there. And let's use this mental game stuff to help you in between and keep you in the game, right? But a lot of people, I bet yeah, you don't even I, know what their stuff is. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's true. I think that is really sound advice. But the one thing that I do know is that as human beings, we have one of the most wonderful apparatus, and it's right there on top of our head, and it's called our visual system. And I've always found that, you know, when you play golf, you know, with your eyes, when you look at the target, you say, here's where I want the ball to go. Because, you know, I'm just not a sports psychologist. I come from a sports vision background. And that's really what the visual system does. It, it drives the motor system directly. And if I can get people to look at their target, to really engage with their target, say, this is where I want the ball to go. This is where I'm looking at. This is where I want the ball to go down the middle of the fairway. I then come back. And just making a full swing. It's really funny how, you know, that is to self-correct as well. So that's really, you know, what I used to tell a lot of people as well. Rather than getting really stuck over the ball and getting lost into a lot of technical cues, just have them free it up and say, hey, look right down the, the fairway. Here's where you want to go. Step back, take a free swing, and you yeah. have a much better chance of being successful with that type of strategy than sitting there trying to go over, you know, uh, Hogan's, you know, five fundamentals of modern golf. Right. Yeah, it's so funny, Bob. Um, and then I got one last thing to say about Scotty, and we'll let you go. I can't believe it's already been an hour. But um, it was really funny, Bob. I was building on this idea with a couple of my buddies playing uh, the last couple weeks. And I would, I would try and be their Ted Scott, right, just for fun, for experimental purposes and for our listeners. So one of the times with my buddy, I said, uh, all right, where are you trying to start this? What's your window? Right. He'd kind of tell me and I'd say, what do you want your flight to do? High, low, mid. Where do you want it to end up? I was helping him get really specific. Right. And he starts vocalizing that and he starts getting really clear. He lets it fire. He followed that exact picture. Now, I know that doesn't happen every time, but sure as hell gives him a better chance. Now, that same guy, Bob, 
couple holes later, last hole, I asked him the same thing. Guess what he told me? You're going to get a kick out of this. He says, What did he say? He said, Middle-ish. Where are you trying to hit it? Middle-ish. I go, What's your flight? He goes, Mid-ish. <laughs> and he snap hooked it in the trees. Ish doesn't really work. I think ish is going to lead to more shit than, than what you want. So uh, I think that's important. I think that's a good takeaway um, is the well, visual. It's a very good thing. Yeah, because what you're doing, you're making him do what we call public commitment. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a go- you're actually having them verbalize out loud. As you know, I was at you know, a wedding. And that's one of the things we do at a wedding. We have, you know, the bride and groom, you know, or the people getting, you know, hitched. Yeah. Uh, we're having them do this public proclamation, bowing their love and their testament to one another. But that's exactly what, you know, a love relationship is in golf. It's about you, your ball, and your target. And you're making this proclamation to yourself. This is what I'm going to do. And the more specific, you know, directions you can give yourself, the more the ball was going to actually go that way. And that's a great example of what you did with your friend because you were ha- having him talk it out and really give the directive into his head, and he just followed that blueprint, which would hit a very good shot. And, and that's why it's sort of like uh, when you go to the butcher, and a butcher says, uh, how much you know, of this ham slice do you want? And you tell them, oh, just give me a little titch. Just give me a little t- just, just shave that up, just a little titch. <laughs> Well, they don't know really what a titch is. It's like, it's like middle-ish, right? So the more specific that you can actually make you know, that self-direction, the better your results will be. Yep, love it. Well, my takeaway, and then I'll kick it to you. My takeaway from the Masters and Scotty is something he said to Jim Nance at the end. Jim asked him, how long have you dreamed of winning the Masters? And he said, you know, Jim, I actually just dreamed of competing. And I think that is so great. I think, so, I think back on my life, Bob, learning about mindfulness and detachment and law of attraction. And every time I've attracted something even bigger than what I could dream of, I was happy to be there. I was just happy to be there. And I was so focused on what I was doing that amazing thing, things happened, things fell into place. And that is, what Scotty, that is how Scotty Scheffler is playing golf right now. He just loves competing, and he's doing the best he can with the shot at hand, and and that's what he's doing. And so that's my takeaway for the week is get excited about the competing and the competition, not the score. The score is never going to make you happy and fulfilled because you're going to want to get more of it. Um, It's the competing and the, the patience and the practice, what I love about the game the most so i'll kick it to you on giving people one last thought um on what your takeaway is from the masters and scotty well masters to me is just a very special event it's like the class reunion of the world's best golfers and it's a legacy and it's it's a golf course and a tournament that's made for drama and i always love what woody allen you know the famous actor producer always said about success he goes oh, about 90 percent of success is just showing up and, you know, when you show up you know, for a tournament and you're saying, hey, and it's like Lee Trevino used to say, hey, somebody's got to win this thing. It might as well be me. So you give yourself a chance. You just give, you know, let's go play. Let's just see really what happens. And I think that's really what, you know, the great, you know, athletes, in all sports, you, we mentioned, 
Michael Jordan, we mentioned Tom Brady, Tiger Woods. They just love to compete, but they're just not competing against you know, other people. They're competing against their own talent level. And that's really what, you know, playing the great golf's all about. It's like, how, how good will I allow myself to be today? And, and that's really, you know, it just it goes right in stride with what you're saying. So that's the whole point. But I also understand one thing about this game when you see it really, really quick is that it isn't just about, you know, your golf skill, your skill set. It's more about your mindset, your mood set, your attitude, your choice of focus, where are you going to put your attention and intention? And, and when you have that zone of control, you can control your emotion, control your composure. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's funny how good things always, you know, start to show up. Because that's why yeah. I've always said, one of my trademarks is you change your mind, you change your game. And we're always trying to change your mind to a very optimistic, positive outlook because good things usually happen when your mind is focused in that direction. Yeah, well... Bob, you're right. I mean, five years ago, five plus years ago, when Matt and I started this show, and I showed up every week and every day on social media, like the fact that we're getting to talk now for the second time, and I've met your colleague and friend Rotella and Dr. Joe Parent, all these great people, I wouldn't have ever had the chance to meet you guys and have these great conversations and help thousands of golfers if I didn't show up every day you think it was comfortable <laughs> to right. you think i liked it i was actually scared to talk about mindfulness for years on here but at the end of the day i leaned into something i loved that i wanted to give back and help people with and now we're talking so i think that's a great place to end i think people hear that again another cliche but a golden nugget and it's true well i've got one other thing to say you talk about you know people people's people all right we talk about this law of attraction and the law of creation but let's take a look at you know at scott you know coming down the masters the final green you don't think he's yeah. not a human being he yeah. four putts yeah all right and i love you know your uh social media post hey he's just like the rest of us yeah yeah hey we're all that way it's just vocational mindfulness vocational choice Scotty Scheffler, you know, he went that way. He went to become a professional golfer. Other people are architects. Other people are lawyers and doctors. But the one thing we have in common, hey, we all love golf. And yeah. that's, you know, the reason why I, I love being here on your podcast, because you love the game. You have passion for it. I have passion for what I do. And, and it's, uh, and I've always said that these things, you know, it's, it could be divine providence that we're always you know, talking about these things. But we're here helping a lot of people. And that's really the whole goal uh, of our mission here. So thank you again, Evan, for having me on. I look forward to coming on a third time. I would love that. Well, if you guys aren't following Bob, follow him at dr.bobwinters on Instagram. Anywhere else you want to send them, or is Instagram the best place? Well, it could be there. It could be uh, on Twitter. It could be theconfidencedoctor.com. Yep. Or you could even go to davidledbetter.com. And I'm the resident sports psychologist with at our world teaching headquarters here in florida love it well doc thank you as always you know i love talking with you we could do this for hours so i'll cut this i'll give you your night back um what a great tournament and uh love to have you back on take care have a great rest all of right your week. evan take care you too <laughs>